Hey everybody, happy Sunday, welcome. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for this time that we have together as your church, as your people, as brothers and sisters in Christ. You have prepared our hearts to hear and to apply your truth in all we do. You are our protector, our strong tower, our God. We worship you together now. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. That's probably my favorite song in the world. Had a good time of worship this morning. Welcome to Friends Church. Um, I just wanted to give us an update. Um, a lot of you know, and if you don't, uh, you'll know now. But one of our core members, Rita Boggs, was diagnosed with uh, pancreatic and liver cancer, stage four, uh, a few weeks ago. And so she uh, flew down to Tijuana to immediately go into a treatment for that at an, an incredible uh, clinic down there. Um, and we just got word back that um, she's in week two now, and it's pretty intense. It's from 8 in the morning to 3 and 30 every single day, seven days a week, and they've been trying to flush stuff out and uh, really just combating to raise her immune system. And for, uh, the report we got back from her is that the last scan they did in her body, they were not able to find any traces of cancer in her liver anymore. So, you know, it just seems like it's a fitting time to see God do miracles in this valley. Um, as a body, we've been talking about what was sealed through Jesus' blood in the new covenant. That transformation and, and restoration has now come to this earth. And as we await for the coming of our King to return, we still hold on to His promises and to the fact that He is the God of the impossible. And as we know, all things will be made new in the new creation and the new heavens and the new earth. And we will stand in front of our king for eternity. And he will wipe away every tear and kill every sickness. And all death and, and pain and wickedness and sin will be destroyed forever. We still hold that now we can see the revelation of that coming kingdom now. And in the lives of this church and the lives of this valley. And that's why we pray with our hope set on what is to come and our faith resting assured on what Christ has accomplished before us. But we believe now that we will see great things so that God will be glorified in the testimonies of believers who will be able to stand and say, this is what he's done for me now. And so continually as a body, we will pray for complete restoration for Rita and we will stand with her in this time. And I'm so encouraged to be able to share that report because I know we have been praying as a church. I know you guys have been praying. Um, one thing I also wanted to note is there's a GoFundMe page that Patricia Silva set up online that uh, we can help donate money towards all the treatment that's going on right now. The Boggs are a core member of our family, so we want to stand with them in that. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, I've been trying to link it to our Friends Church homepage uh, or our Facebook page, but they won't let us because they won't let corporate pages link personal links. It's weird. So I'm going to send out an email this week to the link to that GoFundMe page. Please, it's one thing to be able to stand in prayer and see miracles happen, but it's another thing for them to feel our support and that we stand with them financially. And we could raise the funds to, to take care of all of the treatment she's been going through in a day if we all just gave $100 or whatever you can give um, for that. Because we just wanted to make sure they know that we're, we're standing with them in this and that we're, we believe with them as a family, that we're holding them up and walking with them at this time. So um, that's an incredible thing. One other thing I wanted to note is that this month starts the one-month global month of prayer for the Muslim world. And we have a couple more of these out on the donut uh, 
tables, but it's 30 days of prayer for the Muslim world. And, you know, when Jesus came, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's this reality that we've been called to love those who are our neighbors, who don't necessarily share the same things that we do, but we still consider our brothers and sisters because God wants them as much as all of us to to be in his kingdom. So as we pray for a redemption, for the gospel to be seen in the Muslim world, this month, uh, these tracks are out there, and they're awesome. They Every single day, they just focus on one uh, thing a day to, to, uh, to focus our prayer in as they're uh, focusing on Ramadan and the uh, religion of Muslim uh, this month. So you can pick one of those up out in the lobby. And, man, prayer just works. It works, it works, it works. So at this time, when we dismiss our kids to Kids Church, I want to just believe with you guys and lift Rita up right now. Um, and then we'll dismiss our kids to Kids Church. But Father, we thank you for the report. God, we thank you that it says in your word in the book of James that you provide all good and perfect gifts. That all good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights. Lord, that you do not stand far away from our troubles and our pains and our sickness. Lord, but that we see the intimacy in which you have called us into through the death and the resurrection of your son, that now we can be ushered into the very presence of our king, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, as it says in Hebrews 4. So, Lord, we just stand as a body continually for Rita and her healing. Lord, we lift her up to you. We know that you are her good father and that you know everything that's wrong with her, God. And we pray for complete restoration right now in Jesus name God we set our faith in the fact that you have come to make things new and so Lord we pray that right now we believe for it God and we just proclaim that you are holy and that you are good in every situation of our lives God be glorified in this situation as we just see the testimony of your working in her body in Jesus name and Lord for our kids as they go to kids church I pray for their teachers that you give them wisdom and clarity, God, that the gospel will be spoken clearly in those classrooms. Um, Lord, and that you be glorified in this body as we raise up our kids to honor and worship you. In Jesus' name. Before we uh, dismiss the kids to Kids Church, um, I wanted to know that summer is come, and with that comes the reality that we lose a lot of teachers. And we were even scrambling this morning. Uh, we have one worker in nursery and one worker in toddler. If you've ever been to our nursery or toddler room, as much as we don't have a lot of uh, people in the summertime, we have the, an exorbitant amount of kids in the summertime. Um, we had 20 kids in one of our classrooms at the first service. So um, with that being said, we're, we're short five people this service. If you can help out in the nursery or the toddler room, they need one for the classrooms. In the hallway, uh, my mother-in-law is in the back. Uh, Tanya, if you want to raise your hand, she's back there. If you can help out this service, we'd appreciate it because honestly, you can't do nursery with one person. Um, so we need a couple more people to help out with that. And then, if you haven't signed up to help with kids church, uh, we'd appreciate it if you just do it once a year. If all of us did that, then we'd have enough people consistently. So. Um, it's just a great opportunity to pour into our kids. Um, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, we have a communication card in the bulletin you can fill out with prayer requests or to sign up for things like Kids Church. Um, you can check a box and we'll get back to you. But uh, thanks for being here. You can bring your kids to Kids Church at this time, and we're going to continue to worship for those of you that don't have kids. Oh.
Amen. Thank you, worship team. Have you guys seen the um, new Friends Church uh, commercial? How many have seen that? Pretty awesome. We're all glad to hear that uh, Dylan wants to become a better man. Okay. Um, We're continuing this morning with our uh, series, The Promise Plan, kind of an overview of the whole Bible. And uh, But before we get too far into that, are we ready to take an offering here? Um, There we go. Okay. Lord, we thank you for everything that you have committed into our hands. Eternal life, salvation, righteousness, blessings, Lord, and even all the material things that you've given us, Lord, to steward. We just pray that we will be faithful stewards. And Lord, this morning as we give, we are sowing into your kingdom. And we pray, Father, that God, your kingdom will come and your will will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And that the increase of your government and peace There will be no end, and that your kingdom, Lord, would expand and increase in the earth. Lord, we just want to participate with that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you see in your notes, um, the title of my message is Transition into Greatness. And... um, I want to be perfectly clear about one thing. You are destined for greatness. God has great things in store for you. And it's the will of God to exalt his church. And if you look over the the scriptures, there are so many transitions that that are very powerful. And, And for example, when... Israel, after 400 years of slavery, crossed the Red Sea and came into the wilderness. Or even Abraham before that, when he went from Ur the Chaldees and came into the land that God had promised him. And then there was a, when Israel went from the wilderness and they crossed the Jordan into the land that God had set aside for them. They started driving out the giants and, and inheriting this beautiful land of vineyards and orchards and, and uh, a productive, beautiful place. And, and so then we, we come to the new covenant. We come to the point of John the Baptist and the transition that took place in the 50 days from Passover to Pentecost was the greatest transition in the history of the world. And so God is always taking us from the old into the new. He's he's taking us from what is lesser into what is greater. He's he's taking us higher. He's taking us deeper. And he's drawing us closer into relationship with him, into the intimate, personal, and experiential relationship with himself. Until this, until the point comes and, and Jesus or Paul spoke about this prophetically. He said that that Christ's intent was to present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. So that's where this is all going. 
And, and, and the scriptures are full of transition and transformation, both corporately and individually. It says in Philippians 1.6 that God has begun a good work in you and will continue to perform it. That we're his workmanship, we're his masterpiece, and he's constantly uh, processing us and, and, and removing things. He's pruning us and making us fruitful. And then it says uh, in Philippians 3.21, it says, Unto him be glory in the church and in Christ in every generation forever. So we need to set our sights a little higher. We always need to be uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to show us where he wants to take us. And the reason I'm speaking on this subject today is because I believe that God wants to take us into another transition as a church. He wants to take us higher. He wants to take us deeper. He wants to draw us closer to himself. It says in Romans 12, 2, that we're not to be conformed to this world, but, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And as we look to Christ, that we're changed from glory to glory. So there's so much in the word about transition and transformation. The word transition means movement, passage, or change from one position, state, stage, subject, concept, to another. Change, the period of time which something changes from one state or stage to another. In John 3, 12 uh, through 16, it, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he, and he says, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And this is what God wants to do in our lives, each one of us. He wants to take us from the earthly to the heavenly. And he says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is what I'm talking about. Look at what he does here. He talks about something that happened when they put a serpent on a pole and, and the whole congregation of Israel, those that had been bitten, were healed. And yet he says he transitions from that to the greater, which is the Son of God on the cross. So that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He wants to take us from this normal physical life into an eternal life. And if you look at the book of John, this is repeated over and over. He starts out by turning ordinary water into wine. And then he's talking to Nicodemus about, you know, he talks about being born in the natural, but then there's another birth. It's a higher birth. It's a deeper birth, a birth in the spirit, a birth where you are born from above. And then he talks to the woman at the well, and she's talking about the water that can be drawn up from Jacob's well. And then Jesus turns it around and starts talking about the living water. And then the disciples return, 
and they're urging him to eat. And he says, listen, I have food. I have meat to eat that you don't know about, which is to do the will of my father. So it's always one level to the next, higher. But there's one thing about exaltation and greatness that is a, there's a prerequisite. There's a requirement in the word for exaltation and greatness, and that is humility. And the problem is, is though, is that we are wired. We've been born into a system. We've been, I like to call it the matrix. And it's a, it's a system that was, that was designed and constructed and is managed by the kingdom of darkness. And it's, it attempts to wire our minds in such a way that it will be contrary to God and his will. And so the problem is that we're totally wired for self-exaltation by the world system. In fact, self-exaltation is one of the five primary rudimentary elements of the world and of the system of the world. But God is calling us to live above this world and beyond it so that we're not constantly craving the the recognition and admiration and respect and honor of men, but rather we're satisfied with God and we receive honor from him and he determines our wealth, I mean our our value and our, our worth. Philippians, there's a lot of scripture that addresses this. Philippians uh, 2, 3 through 9. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now that takes rewiring. That takes the reprogramming of our natural, carnal, religious, earthbound matrix mindsets. And God is on a continual uh, uh, mission with us that that might proceed and that we might begin to think like he thinks and have his values rather than the values of the world. And so he goes on to say, to have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the shameful death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And that is exactly the principle that God wants us to live in. Because it is God's will to exalt you, to make you great. But it requires this humility. And I want to say to you that we are incapable of humbling ourselves except by the grace of God. And so the way to do this is say, Lord, help me. God, cause me. Lord, I surrender to you. I want to humble myself. God, I want to be in that place of humility before you in my heart from the depths in the secret place 
before you. I want to walk in that humility. And Lord, if you exalt me, even then, I will live with your eyes upon me and in your sight. And so Jesus said this in Luke 18, 14, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's nothing wrong with being exalted. There's nothing wrong with being great for his sake. And God intends to make you great. But there's an attitude, there's a spirit of the mind, there's a renewing and reprogramming of the mind that will put us in a place where God can do that without ruining us. Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing this very thing. He says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be what? Noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your giving may be in secret, that your Father who sees in secret himself will reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And this verse, this next verse, has been sort of a key verse, a a major verse in my life. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We have to develop a secret place life in the Lord. And in actual fact, as we do, it will begin to counteract this whole propensity and inclination toward self-exaltation, toward seeking to be noticed and seen and recognized and admired and esteemed by men. We're talking about a value of God here. Whole books of the New Testament are addressing the things that I'm talking to you about today. Especially 1 Corinthians and the book of Galatians. Now I want to talk to you about a couple, a little section here in 1 Corinthians. I believe it's in your notes. But I want you to know that in chapter 1 verse 7, Paul says that the Corinthian church came behind in no gift. In other words, the gifts of the Spirit were flourishing and flowing in the Corinthian church. However, they had a problem. And that's what he's talking about here in in chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food. For you are not able to receive it. Even now you're not yet able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? 
For one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Are you not carnal and walking like mere men of the world? Jealousy and strife and envy and division are fruits of self-exaltation. And, and what they're doing here is they have ranked the apostles and Christ. And they have identified themselves with one or another in, a, in an effort to identify themselves with something that would then establish their superiority. So it's all about competition and comparison. And they didn't have this word at the time in the at the time of the writings, but, but we have a word, and I believe it describes what's going on here, and it's the word branding. You guys know what branding is? We see it every day on the television. And the objective of branding and selling a product is twofold. One, to differentiate it from all other products. In other words, to make it, to distinguish it, or to cause you to see the distinction And then the second objective is to show its superiority. And so how would people say in the normal culture that we live in, how how might they brand themselves? Okay, How might they obtain an identity in which they can feel they have value and worth and and they can be noticed by men? And, and, And I have a short little list here. Position. What's your position in the company or in the school? Or, you know, it's like, it's like uh, you're a high school football coach. Oh, you can, you know, you're not a peewee coach. You're a high school coach. But then there's another guy. He's a college coach. Oh, okay. Well, that's... And then there's someone else that's a professional coach. But then there's someone else who has three Super Bowl rings, coach. And you can see how this thing works. And, and I'm just saying to you, if, if these are the things that give you value, and I'll, I'll read them here in just a second, position, titles, how much money you have, what kind of house you have, the car you drive, your beauty, education, sports. You might be a teacher, a lawyer, a business owner, a doctor, politician, all of these things, but if you get your identity from them, if you get your sense of worth from that, you will spend your life climbing a mountain of marbles and exhausting yourself and never being quite satisfied with who and what you are. And God has a better way. And the way is that we will get our value from him. And we could be in the secret place. You could be in solitary confinement in a prison and still feel a sense of well-being and wholeness and health and, and, and worth and value because it's before him. And he is the one that determines these things in our lives. So I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, well, then what about the church? Do churches brand themselves? And they certainly do. I mean, you might have the biggest church in town, right? And you just, you see how distinct you are and you see how superior you are because you have the biggest church in town, okay? 
And I just made a list here of four examples of possible areas that a church could brand itself. And I want you to know that these four areas are not wrong. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not evil. They're good. They're good things. It's just that they're being used in a wrong way. The first one might be orthodoxy. And uh, the definition of orthodoxy is conforming to the approved form of any doctrine. This would be a church that centers on Bible knowledge, on scholarship, uh, knowing the history, the culture, the Greek and Hebrew. There'd be a lot of teaching classes and above all, correct theology. Another area that a, of branding might be giftedness with an emphasis on spiritual experiences and encounters, demonstrations of the kingdom of God, spiritual warfare, and especially prophecy and healing. The third might be the blessed life. There would be a lot of counseling and teaching designed for life as a good Christian. Christ-likeness, healthy lifestyle, marriages, families, children, and finances. And then a fourth one might be missional, a priority on church planting, church administration and structure, endless administration and structure, focus on strategies for effective church growth, organization, and a myriad of programs for various objectives. You know, and the thing of it is, is that when, when this branding, if this is what's going on in the hearts and in the, especially the pastors and that sort of thing, then what often happens, and I think it's a strategy of the, from the pit of hell, is to turn one against the other. In other words, if you're a church that focuses on orthodoxy, you might be against a church that has giftedness. And, and, and thereby cut yourself off from something that God intends for us to have. It's, it's a brilliant strategy. So Matthew 9, um, 10 through 13. It says, Then it happened as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I want to just tell you that when I saw that verse, I said, you know, I said to myself, wait a minute, what does that, this is like years ago, but I, I, for the longest time, I thought, go and learn what this means. And I thought, well, I need to go and learn what this means. And I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out really what he was trying to get at because God himself instituted sacrifices and offerings. And I thought, what is he really saying here? But, but what finally came to me was that the Pharisees had twisted the entire system and, and made it turn around so that they were receiving honor from men. 
They were being noticed. They were being recognized. They even had financial benefits that, that were coming to them in, in the system. And what it amounted to was that the world's values and the matrix system had infested itself in the Old Testament sacrifices and offerings, the way that they were running this thing. And I want to point out to you that anyone that exposes and rejects and opposes the system will be opposed and persecuted. You could see this happening even in this little meeting, you know, like the Pharisees are beginning to be offended by the fact that the tax collectors and sinners are sitting with Jesus and there's something that's just petting that kitty the wrong way. So, as I was meditating on all this, I, I thought I might suggest to you that we at Friends Church and we as individuals, uh, we can become one of three churches. And I want to say at the beginning that the three things I'm describing are, are these are genuine churches. These are born-again people, okay? The first one is the natural church. We can become the natural church. And the natural church is a word-only church, a church that does not advance beyond the natural. Although it conforms its practices and lifestyle to the scriptures, it neither sees nor expects supernatural intervention or the demonstrations of the power of God, healing, mental and physical, deliverance, miraculous provisions, or confirmations of the preaching of the gospel. Paul said in 1 First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5, our gospel did not come unto you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and much conviction or much assurance. The second church is the religious church. And this can be a spirit-filled, gift-flowing church. A church, but however, it is a church more concerned with branding, comparison, competition, and expressions of superiority in the church pyramid than knowing God in the secret place and being known by him. Do you get what I'm saying here? And then finally, the truly spiritual church or church of the spirit a church that is marked by genuineness, authenticity, and humility, a church that is pleasing to the Lord, living in his sight, loves being close to the Lord, hearing his voice, open-hearted and transparent before him, producing the fruit of the Spirit and flowing in all the gifts of the Spirit. And, I, and as I was thinking about that, I, I thought I would ask you a rhetorical question. Don't answer, please. Which church do you feel most closely resembles Friends Church? And my answer is the natural church at this time, okay? However... I believe it's God's intention and the reason that I'm standing up here today is because I believe it's God's intention if we are in fact more resembling the natural church. I believe it's God's intention 
that we might become the truly spiritual church without becoming the religious church. I was, um, I was praying with a group of pastors on Thursday of this week, and sometimes I have to say things, I kind of come in under the radar with stuff, and I said, we're praying, everybody's heads down. I said, I see, I see a, a man sitting in a driver's seat. And, um, and I said, I hear the Lord saying, you cannot see my vision for your future by looking in a rear view mirror. To do so, in doing so, you are limiting me. Because the Lord will do a new thing. Things never seen in the earth before. And I believe that God wants to do a new thing at Friends Church. And it may not resemble, and I don't believe it will resemble, anything that you have ever seen before. So don't be looking at your past. You that have, you know, a a, a rich inheritance from things of the past, don't only think that, oh, well, it must be this again. Because God wants to do something new, something fresh. Something maybe never having been seen before. Awesome things. Great things. In Friends Church. And he wants to open our hearts and he wants us to believe him like never before. And come into those things. It's like, it's almost like for me to stand up here and say, I want you to imagine a color you've never seen. And, and, and so... I want to look at some things from the life of John the Baptist that will help us make the transition that God has in mind for us. And I love this first few verses of Luke chapter 3. It says, now in the 15th year, now listen to this carefully, you don't get lost in this, there's a point. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, And Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, and in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John. I just love that. John was in the wilderness. John wasn't a part of the system. He had no rank. He had no position, whether in the religious or the political sphere. He was a nobody, but he had separated himself. And he'd gone out into the wilderness, and the word of the Lord came to him. And that's one of the primary things that has to happen for a church to make a transition, for you as an individual to make a transition into the new thing that God wants to do. You have to receive a word from God. It's a fresh word. It's a living word. It doesn't come from scholarship. It doesn't come from research. It comes from heaven. And that's what we have to have. Just the way John received it. He saw the transition. He received a word from God. He was in the wilderness. He had stepped away. Like, step away from the system and no one will get hurt. So he stepped away. He went out into the wilderness. And that's where God met him. And it says, he came to all the district around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance. 
And that's what has to happen. We get a revelation from God. We get a download from God. We hear the living, breathing word uttered from the mouth of God through the Holy Spirit. We receive it, and it requires a repentance. And oftentimes, we, re, we, we are restricted or we, we're resistant to change, but we have to change. We either change or God will find someone else. So we have to go into that secret place. We have to open our hearts up and say, oh God, whatever it is you have for me, God, help me to see it. Change my mind. Renew my mind. Reprogram my mind and help me to be in harmony and to walk with you by the Spirit. And then Jesus said about John, this is awesome. He said in Matthew eleven eleven, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. When I was, uh, I, I, what I have to do is I have to present the title of the message in a scripture to uh, Mariah for, uh, to send out an email. And so I said, okay, I got two titles and you can pick. And I said, one is transition into greatness and the other one is I am greater than Moses. And she always picks the less crazy one, you know, so unless I, unless I just give her just one, you know, like throw out that woman. I remember that was a good one. She, so, so we went with transition to greatness. But the fact is, is that among men born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Joshua. He's the greatest man that had ever been born in the history of the world up to that time. Yet, yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, that would would mean if you are born of God's spirit, if God has transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, that you are greater than John the Baptist. That makes you greater than Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Elijah, and all the rest of them. And that's like, wow, how is that all? What what sense are we talking here? What what does this mean? How do you... And and I came up with one word. It's, It's all about proximity to Jesus. The reason John the Baptist was the greatest born among women in the history of the world is because he came right up next to Jesus. And the ones that are born into the kingdom, even the very least, are in union with Jesus. He dwells in us by his spirit. That's why it's a greater thing than the entire, all the Old Testament saints cannot be compared to the least that are joined in union, filled with his spirit. So it's all about proximity. Proximity is greatness. So we need to understand these principles. We need to hear the revelation of God, the word of God. We need to step away from the system. We need to, be, uh, we need to have a baptism of repentance and a fullness of renewal of our minds. And then we need to be in proximity to Jesus. And it says, they came to John and said, Rabbi, 
He who is beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. In other words, your flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of your flesh, your sufficiency, your energy, your wisdom, will not cause you to inherit. But you can, if you can believe, you can receive from him. And that's the way it works. It, it sort of emphasizes this idea that it's not by might, nor by power, but by his spirit. I had, a little while back, I had a vision. And in this vision, it's a transition vision. And in this vision, I saw all of us, Friends Church, hundreds of people walking across a field. And we came up to this river. It was about the size of the China. We all crowded up to this river. And immediately, in my, you know, three marbles, I thought, oh, that's it. We got to cross the river. And so I started to take these big boulders and I was setting them down on the edge of the river. I was going to build one of those arching uh, uh, bridges across the river and I started lining these stones up and, and suddenly I looked up and from the other side of the river, a golden bridge was forming and beginning to cross and come up toward me. And I realized, I went, oh God, this stuff is in the way. I, got to, I had to start taking those big boulders out of the way. I had to remove them because they were done. They were a part of my hand in the thing. And what God was going to do, he would say, no, 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 Floyd, this is going to be by my spirit. It's not by your might, nor by your power, nor by your wisdom. You don't know how to do this thing. Let me bring it to you. And then... And then it says, you yourselves are my witnesses that, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. You know, the entire Old Testament was a was required the sufficiency of man, the energy of man, the holiness, the goodness, the righteousness of man. And it taught us that we are not righteous and that we need a new heart and a new spirit. And so when John, who is the last of the old covenant prophets, he says, I, he must increase, but I must decrease Yes, it's all going toward Christ. The Old Testament way and purposes of the law and everything are fading away. And I must decrease. But he, his grace, his wisdom, his power must increase in our lives. And so we can learn from John that it's by his spirit that we prosper and have success. He who comes from above is above all. He who is from the earth 
He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. God is taking us from our earth-only walk and, and transitioning us into a heavenly walk. This is a fulfillment of his prayer that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are to grow in our faith. We're to believe for more, higher, greater, deeper things in God. And we're to grow in grace and grow in our, like I say, in our faith and in the favor of God and begin to believe him for things that have never been seen before. There's a verse in Isaiah. I'm so inspired by this verse and I, I want you to, I want you to meditate on it and receive it. It says that it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream unto it. Put that in there. Put that in here. Begin to pray, begin to meditate, begin to believe. God is not coming back for the church as it now is. He is coming back for a glorious, glory-filled church. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness to people, but my light will be seen on you and my glory will just rest on you. That's where we're going. That's why God wants to exalt you. But that's also why we have to humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord that he may exalt us. It says in 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that may, he may exalt you at the proper time. And I want to close. Wow, I got so much time. I love it. That's a good feeling for me. I'm usually like, I'm scrambling to squeeze whatever has to go and it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, I'm almost like I'm standing up here on vacation. I just need a hammock or something, you know. Little palm tree. That's how I feel in my heart. So I want to read this. It's it's uh now listen, this is not theology, okay? It's just a like a parabolic uh picture vision that depicts how God defines success, how God defines value from heaven's point of view. Okay? And then I'll make a couple comments and then we can go. A friend of mine had a vision of heaven. He saw the outer courts, the inner courts, and the Holy of Holies, where Jesus stood. This man went first to the outer courts where he encountered many well-known ministries of the last century who had incredible ministries of teaching, healing, and prophecy. Surprised to see them in the outer courts, he approached one of the more famous Christians who had lived during the 20th century and asked with genuine interest, 
Why aren't you inside with Jesus? The man looked at him with a smile. Because I loved my ministry more than Jesus. I spent more time with ministry to people than I did with him. The man had no shame and was clearly grateful to be in the company of heaven. However, my friend was saddened about his own life. Then my friend was transported into the inner courts where he recognized a modern-day hero of the faith. Why aren't you in the Holy of Holies, he inquired. This modern-day hero did not take offense at the question but responded truthfully. I cared more, I cared more about understanding and wisdom than I did about being with Jesus. My life re revolved around an intellectual understanding, not around my relationship with him. Again, my friend was convicted and a little disheartened by what he heard. Finally, he was ushered into the most awesome presence of the Holy of Holies. A radiant love emanated from Jesus. My friend could barely see because of the brilliant light in this room. Below the throne, he noticed a frail woman holding the hand of God. Searching his memory, my friend could not place her among the leaders of Christendom. Then slowly he walked over to her and discovered her gaze was fixed on Jesus. Hesitating at first, he finally interrupted her and asked, Will you tell me who you are? Without taking her eyes off Jesus to look at him, she replied, I'm his. But how did you get to be in the Holy of Holies, he asked her. For a split second, she took her eyes off Jesus to look at him, confused by the question. Her eyes were radiant with the power of his pleasure. She answered, I just loved him. All my days on earth, I only had my love for him. Wow, you must have had an incredible life. What kind of miracles did he do through you, my friend asked. She spoke soberly, indicating great brokenness. Actually, he was the only thing that made my life worth it. I didn't do anything that anyone would consider profound. I just spent my days with him because I had nothing else. But he loved me. He is my miracle. Puzzled, my friend quizzed her further. Didn't you have a ministry, some sort of gifting that prepared you for this? No, she replied. I wasn't good, very good at anything. I didn't have a good voice to sing to anyone but him. I didn't have an eloquent speaking ability, so I never taught. I didn't get prophetic words for others. I just loved him and those he put in my life. My friend was amazed that someone who seemed to live an unsuccessful ministry life was in the Holy of Holies, so close to Jesus. This woman lived her whole life in the secret place. And it doesn't, I'm not saying, and I don't think that it's meant to convey the fact that God doesn't give ministry and he doesn't want us to be, you know, successful and great in ministry. It's just a comparison. And we need to understand that it's proximity to him that is the greatest value in heaven. It's our love, our intimacy, our closeness with him that, that counts. And so we have to develop the secret place with God. And I want to say one thing before I close. I work with some of the most, and I'm talking about Dave Chester, Brian Bennett, Eric Genger. I, these guys 
are the real deal. And there is a preference and deference that they show to one another that is off the charts. And so what I'm saying is that this church has a, a, a pastoral team that you can respect. And I believe God will bless. And, and my heart for them and for each one of you is that you would prosper you would flourish in everything that God has called you to do and be. And when I think of like Eric and Brian and, and Dave, I my whole heart is, guys, be great, be awesome, be amazing, be fantastic. Because as you become what God's called you to be, it releases me to be who God's called me to be and makes the whole team stronger. And that goes for every one of you. My heart is that you would attain to the exaltation and glory that God has in mind for you and that you would do it through a humble, genuine, authentic heart that just loves him and is satisfied with him alone. And so you don't need ministry, but if God gives you that, then God bless you. So, Lord, I pray that, God, you will cause Friends Church to prosper, that you will cause us to have success, that the greatness of God will not be inhibited or restricted by our pride and our self-exaltation and desire and craving to be honored, to be noticed, to be seen by men. But God, we will rise up in all the heart and spirit of Jesus and we will fulfill Philippians 2 and we will have this mind which was in Christ Jesus, even the mind of Christ who humbled himself, who emptied himself. And yet because of that, you highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name. And we pray, God, that we will come to that place where we will be the glorious church that you want to receive unto yourself. And we just ask you, God, bring us into that by your grace, by your spirit. Oh, God, help us, Lord, have a heart that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
Amen. You guys have a blessed week.